Hi, this is Ananda, president of the Hare Krishna community near Washington, D.C. What follows is a Sunday talk recorded at our temple. Every Sunday we invite the public for meditation, a talk, and a vegetarian lunch. We'd love for you to join us. More information is available at iskonofdc.org. That's I-S-K-C-O-N of D-C dot org. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy the talk. So I will also add my happy Father's Day wishes to all of the fathers here. And I think I wasn't here on Mother's Day. So just to make sure we are gender respectful, happy Mother's Day belated to all the moms here too. <coughs> I remember when I was a kid, I could never figure out, why, why isn't there a kid day? And I asked my mother one time, she said, every day is your day. We get one a year. So... I was going to read a little bit from Bhagavad Gita. The topic this week is about peace. I think it's an appropriate one for reasons to be explained as we go through. But we'll start with... uh... Hi, Krishna. We'll start with uh, the verse, 5th chapter, text 29. Uh, If you know it, you can join with me. We won't do it responsibly, but you can just join in. Bhoktaram dhakatapasam sarvalokam maheshvaram suridam savabhutanam gyatvamam shantim richati. A person in full consciousness of me, knowing me to be the ultimate beneficiary of all sacrifices and austerities, the Supreme Lord of all planets and demigods, and the benefactor and well-wisher of all living entities, attains peace from the pangs of material miseries. Prabhupada's purport. The conditioned souls within the clutches of the illusory energy are all anxious to attain peace in the material world. But they do not know the formula for peace, which is explained in this part of the Bhagavad Gita. The greatest peace formula is simply this. Lord Krishna is the beneficiary in all human activities. Under the spell of illusion, Living entities are trying to be lords of all they survey, but actually they are dominated by the material energy of the Lord. The Lord is the master of material nature, and the conditioned souls are under the stringent rules of material nature. Unless one understands these bare facts, it is not possible to achieve peace in the world, either individually or collectively. This is the sense of Krishna consciousness. Jai Shri Prabhupada Ki Jai. So, thank you everybody for being here today. <clears throat> I've just spent uh, three weeks in Europe visiting many temples there in Italy and in Belgium and in Germany. And then I was Pennsylvania and Delaware the last couple of days and then here. And it's always a pleasure to come to visit uh, ISKCON temples and be with people that are actually making a priority to try to awaken their spiritual consciousness. So I uh, commend each and every one of you. Um, there's a lot of religiousness in the world, which is a good thing. Um, the depth of that is not always so profound. And hopefully, individually, we're all cultivating that genuine desire to go deeper and deeper in our own spiritual lives. So I thank you for coming here where we can work on that together. So as most of us know here, ISKCON is part of the very long-standing Vaishnava tradition. or spiritual tradition goes back thousands of years based on the Bhagavad Gita, we just read, and other (coughs) Vedic or Sanskrit literatures. 
and then especially rejuvenated through the later teachings of the 16th century saint and we believe avatar of Lord Krishna, Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. ISKCON itself as an organization was founded much later. What year? 1966. 1966. Right, just two years ago we celebrated, yeah, this month, just a couple days ago, I think the 13th. Yeah, next month, next month. July. Yeah, depending if you use a Vedic calendar or Western calendar. But sometime now, and uh, in 1966. So Prabhupada founded actually this ISKCON organization. And when he did so, he wrote in the original incorporation document seven purposes. So we come here, we participate in the ISKCON community. We should have some sense of what those purposes are. So I want to read the first one today because it's directly connected, as you'll see, to today's topic. He wrote, to systematically propagate, this is the first purpose, to systematically propagate spiritual knowledge to society at large and to educate all peoples in the techniques of spiritual life in order to check the imbalance of values in life and to achieve, anybody remember? What are we trying to achieve? Real unity and peace in the world. He says, so as to achieve real unity and peace in the world. So this is our first purpose of this organization. So when you come here, or if somebody asks you, what do you go to the Hare Krishna temple for? Well, because I'm committed to trying to propagate spiritual knowledge to society at large, correct the imbalance of values in life, and help achieve real peace and unity in the world. Most people, you ask them, what's your purpose in life? They'll say, well, you know, I work for Pepsi. We're trying to increase the profit margin by 0.01% next, next year, you know. So we have something a little more transcendent to inspire us. Of course, in our career, sometimes we have to also focus on the 0.01 percentage profit, but that's not our life. Our life is focused to trying to promote real peace and unity. So anyone who has even a basic knowledge of what's going on in the world today can see there's not much unity and there's not much peace. So I just spent a little bit of time researching. I was curious, how many wars are actually going on today, and et cetera. So here's a few interesting facts. There's 10 official wars. I'm not quite sure what you have to do to become the esteemed position of the official name or of what it means to be official war. I don't know if there's a person that you know, carries that. That that, 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 that that title, you know, that they officially declared. But either way, somebody officially declared there's eight, excuse me, ten official wars right now in the world. There's eight active military conflicts. There are other violent conflicts in 64 countries around the world. I think there's, what, 100, about 200 countries in the world? So approximately one-third. There's what are described as violent conflicts within those countries. And there are 576 militant slash separatist groups, which means, you know, war militant type groups, 576 operate in the world today, 576. Uh, today there are, so in looking aside from just war, and we think in terms of, of peace, obviously where there's war there's no peace, but also just in terms of people's basic necessities being met to be peaceful. Today there are 65.6 million people who have been forcibly displaced. 65 million people. 
That's a, that's a lot of people. There's 22.5 million official refugees in the world. And according to the United Nations Refugee Agency, it's the highest levels <clears throat> on record ever in recorded history of human society. Closer to home, it's kind of hard to be peaceful. Even in the United States, we think, well, we don't have any war here. And <clears throat> there may be a few militia groups, but they're out west, right? We live here. <clears throat> of course, some people, anyway, I won't get into that. Some people might, anyway, I won't go there. Um, <clears throat> but uh, United States, anybody know how many people are murdered daily in our country? Land of the free, home of the brave? 43. Every day, 43 people are murdered in the United States. Hard to be peaceful. That's about one every day, every state. 16,000 people are murdered a year in the United States. It's now, um, uh, in 2012, the most recent record I could find in this, 1,200,000 violent crimes committed. Violent crimes, 1,200,000. And um, 30,000 people each year. In addition to the 16,000 murders, 30,000 people each year in the United States die from guns in one, one way or the other. So those are some serious issues. <clears throat> Many of us, maybe we don't come face to face with those issues on a daily basis, but we, we should be aware that's the nature of the world we live in. And we are members of an organization that's trying to promote unity and peace. So we shouldn't think everything's peaceful because it's not. There's serious issues. There's many ideas about solutions to violence and how to promote peace. There's various political ideas and different, different parties have their different concepts. Social scientists have different analysis of that. Um, psychologists have different analysis about what causes violence in people, what leads to people not being peaceful. Fields of psychiatry has questions and answers on that. So many different ideas. So I thought it would be important for us as, as practitioners of bhakti yoga as followers of Lord Krishna, to look and see from our point of view, what's our take on this? Why is it such a mess in the world? Is there anything that we can do or should do or do we care, etc.? So I wanted to discuss that today. <clears throat> so, and it's interesting too, it's Father's Day, at least traditionally, and roles are changing, but traditionally father means protector. So if there's a good father, there should be less violence, there should be more peace, in, in principle at least. So it's maybe appropriate topic for today. So first thing, there's so much trouble, so much violence, so much lack of peace. Should it bother us? I want to put that question out to everybody first. Should it bother us? After all, I would think, I don't think we've ever done any surveys, but I'm sure our congregation is very high on the economic income status. I'm sure a very high percentage of people are employed. If you look at the square foot of most of us in terms of our houses, the year cars we have, all those kind of things, what colleges all of your kids went to or go to or will go to or where you go to, we're doing pretty well by those, by those measures. So in one sense, somebody might think, well, you know, is, is this such an issue for us? <clears throat> I would argue <coughs> it should be more an issue for us than anybody else in the world because we have principles that we follow and Prabhupada describes, we start with what he calls the four pillars of religiosity, which is truthfulness, cleanliness, um, austerity, or sometimes described as self-discipline. And what's the fourth one? Everybody know? We all should know. Compassion. Yeah. 
Everybody can repeat. It helps us remember it. Truthfulness, Truthfulness. Cleanliness, cleanliness, austerity, austerity. and compassion. compassion, or sometimes mercy. Okay, so those are those are pillars. In the 16th chapter of Bhagavad Gita, Krishna refers to this, and he says in the first verse of the 16th chapter. He describes the whole series of verses. He describes about the divine nature. One who has these qualities belongs to the divine nature. And he specifically mentions compassion for all living entities. So people that have compassion for all living entities, they are <clears throat> of the divine nature. In other words, they have, they have spiritual or saintly qualities. So sometimes there's a little tendency uh, in spiritual practice or devotional practice in the Christian tradition, they have the concept of prosperity theology, which means if God really likes you, he gives you lots of stuff. We don't subscribe to that theory. But one of the byproducts of that type of thinking is that if I've got a lot of stuff, God's taking care of me, well, then I'm fortunate and I'm blessed, and other people just have to kind of figure out their own solutions. But as Vaishnavas, we understand that if I'm, as we're, encouraged to be, if I'm encouraged to be a little renounced from the world to understand my spiritual nature, I should never renounce my compassion for others. That can't be given up because that's a spiritual quality. It's a quality of saintly persons. And the fact is, if we're becoming Krishna conscious, as we use that term, if becoming a little advanced in our spiritual awakening, the symptom of that is more compassion for others. That's the symptoms. I mean, there's stories of, you know, Prabhupada's life, we could speak for hours on, on his examples of that. But even in small ways, one time Prabhupada was driving with some devotees and went by a golf course, right? <laughs> it's a lot of golf courses in this area. Normally people that play on golf courses are considered to have been successful. I have an uncle who's 93 years of age and he still plays golf, I think, every day. So that's like, wow, what a success from the material point of view. Prabhupada drove by a golf course and began to cry when he looked at the golf course. Anybody remember why? Because he said, all these old men, their time's running out. Tick, 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 tick. And they're wasting their time just hitting a ball around a big lawn. They're going to die any day. And they're spending their time chasing a ball like they're, you know, eight years old. So from a material perspective, wow, you're so successful, you can play golf every day. From a spiritual perspective, oh, that's so sad. To the point Prabhupada was crying. That was his degree of compassion. That was his compassion. So first point, we should care. It should bother us. We hear these statistics. These should bother us. And a test of our progress in spiritual life as it is. Second point I'd like to make is understanding it's a serious problem, the lack of peace and so much violence in the world. We, as devotees, want to seek and should advocate that others need to seek what's the root cause of the problem. There's a lot of people trying to address these issues in the world. But... As devotees, given the, the gift of some spiritual insight by Lord Krishna and his representatives, we're trying to understand what's the root cause of the problem. Just like there's a lot of doctors in, 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 the, in our community. Well, we all know it's patients. If you go to a doctor's office, you may have some, say there's some flare-up on your skin or something. The doctor just doesn't say, well, you know, go to the store and buy some cream-colored, you know, skin-colored cream and put it on, the, on your arm so nobody can see what's going on, right? That's not a doctor. 
a doctor is going to say, okay, wait a minute, describe what's been happening to you. Maybe they'll order a different kind of test because they want to understand what's the what? The root cause, right? What's the root cause? There may be so many symptoms, but they want to know the root cause. And I was thinking, just like somehow this example popped in my head when I was thinking about this earlier. If you went home today, I hope it doesn't happen to any of us, but if you went home and you went to, you know, you walked in your living room and you thought in the bathroom there was a lot of water coming out from underneath the door. So you tell everybody in the family, go get all the towels you can. Right? Anything else you have to do? No, just keep getting towels. Just, you know, if you got enough towel, maybe go knock on the neighbor's door. Do you have any towels we can borrow, you know? Crank up the dryer full speed because you're going to have to wring out those towels and keep them going for a long time. You wouldn't do that, isn't it? You get the towels out later, but you want to open the door and say, whoa, where's this water coming from? Somebody left the shower on, did the toilet back up. Is it coming from whatever? Someone's living a flat, something happening upstairs. You want to find what's the root cause? You don't just get towels and stop the water because there's more coming. So in a similar way as devotees, we particularly want to understand what's the root cause of this conflict and lack of peace. And the third point, directly connected to that, that the source, as Prabhupada says in his seven purposes, the source lies in a lack of spiritual knowledge. That's the source. That's the source. You know, sometimes people think, well, it's just, it's an economic thing. And obviously, economics has a large role to play. But there's violence, there's lack of peace in rich families and poor families. Some people say well, it was because of discrimination, and that can be a cause to lead to a lot of tension and violence. But there's still lack of peace even in affluent and majoritarian communities, wherever you go. So there's deeper issues, and as Prabhupada describes, it, it, it gets down to understanding this imbalance of values and a lack of, of spiritual knowledge, <clears throat> that that's actually the source of all those difficulties. So what is that? As Prabhupada says, we want to systematically propagate spiritual knowledge, and that will lead to unity and peace. A lot of people say, well, especially these days, would be very cynical about that. That seems like great. You, you go to your church, your temple, your mosque, and you pray, but I'm going to try to do something practical. We would say, that's great, do something practical, but don't just put the towels underneath the bathroom door and keep bringing them out and thinking that's the solution. That also needs to happen. But you need a deeper, a deeper analysis of the problem. So what is that? That's described in the second chapter, Bhagavad Gita. Very beautiful two verses. Krishna gives very philosophical analysis. A person who is not disturbed by the incessant flow of desires, then enter like rivers into the ocean, which is ever being filled, but is always still, can alone achieve peace. Person who is not disturbed by an incessant flow of desires can alone achieve peace, not the man or woman who strives to satisfy such desires. A person who has given up all desires for sense gratification, who lives free from desires, who has given up all sense of proprietorship and is devoid of false ego, he alone can attain real peace. So very profound when you think about it in terms of like the society we live in. Krishna here is saying, if you want to be peaceful, learn to not be disturbed by your desires. Learn to tolerate your desires. Learn to say, you know, I don't really need that. You know, it's called mind over matter or intelligence over mind. And in one sense, it's amazing because if there's truth in this statement, 
We live in a society that's going the wrong way very fast. I don't know how many of you have flown recently. And American airports aren't quite so bad, mostly because they're also old these days. But when you go to other parts of the world and you fly through the airport, I was just—I took some pictures. I was just in, um, I think, Milan Airport, maybe Brussels. You get your ticket, and then you go to get on the plane, and it's really confusing because all you can see is stores and signs to, like, stop here and stop there, 20% off, 30% off, here's the liquor, here's the tobacco, here's the... It's like, excuse me, this is an airport, isn't it? And I had to stop at one point and look, and the signs were right in front of me, you know, concourse A, concourse B. But they were so small compared to the big signs about how you got to buy stuff on your way through the airport. I was really confused. That's in the airport. It's not a shopping center. It's in the, that's, you, you didn't, well, most of us, you didn't go there to go shopping. You went there to get on an airplane, right? So even there, just bombarded with a very different, mess, very different message. Very, 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 very different message which is just consume as much as you can. And when that's done, don't worry, we can get you another credit card <laughs> at a better rate. And it's only 29% if you can't make all the payments on time from your friends at the, at the bank. Just want to let you know, we got you covered. Okay? <clears throat> so, elsewhere in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna dis discusses this concept of desire and we see it around us. He describes that desire for material things burns like fire. He gives this example. It burns like fire and it's never satisfied. Which is an interesting example because we know if there's a fire and there's some wood burning <clears throat> and you think, okay, this fire needs to be satisfied. Let me give it a little more wood and it'll be happy. It gets bigger. It's not like you put wood on the fire. Well, sometimes you put some wet boards or something. But in general, the more wood you put on the fire, what happens? It gets bigger. So Krishna, he has a little something to say with the way the material world works because he made the whole thing. Okay, he's telling us that the more wood you put on the fire, the more we endeavor to satisfy materialistic desires, it just, it burns. It's like a fever and increases and increases. And we see that in the world today. There's such a high level of frustration and dissatisfaction, you know, from the top down to the bottom. So much anger, so much, so much uh, people so, so dissatisfied. So... In the text I first read, Prabhupada, Krishna, the Bhagavad Gita, Iskan, as their servants, gives a different idea, which is that peace and satisfaction and progress in life doesn't come from ever-increasing efforts to satisfy these desires, which is what our whole culture is focused on. And Krishna says, as long as you do that, the more you have, the more upset you're going to get. I mean, we need basic minimums. You know, they've even done psychological studies. I read some studies, and they say people, if you're below a certain income level, naturally you're disturbed. You don't have shelter, sufficient food for your kids. It leads you to be unhappy. Once you reach a certain point, the more you have, there's no direct correlation to the happiness people respond to on surveys. There's no connection. You, just, you need like a minimum. And above there, there's no connection. But we live in a world that says no, more and more and more and more and more. More and more and more and more and more. But it doesn't work. Krishna's making that point. And therefore, people are in such anxiety. <clears throat> They're in anxiety, and then they get angry. It's also described in the second chapter. While contemplating the objects of the senses, a, first, a person develops attachment for them. From such attachment, lust develops. And from lust, what comes next? Anger. So people get angry. 
they get angry, and then there's conflict, and then there's wars. So in the fifth chapter, this verse we read, Krishna says that when we know God, or Lord Krishna, is an enjoyer and not me, I can become peaceful. When we know he's the controller and not me, I can become peaceful. When we know he's the best friend and not me, we can actually become peaceful. We can become happier. So this is the knowledge that um, Prabhupada is talking about in his seven purposes. And this is the knowledge that, that we as members uh, of Krishna Consciousness, we want to bring into our lives and try to share with others. I have two granddaughters who are currently, some of you know them, Revati and Kairava, they're currently on the Kaishori Yatra, um, traveling on a bus, visiting temples and going on canoe trips and things like that with other young girls their age. And I was really glad to hear from their mother that one of the requirements is they cannot bring their smartphones on the trip for like a week or two weeks. Did I hear applause there? I think I think heard applause, yeah. And I was, you know, it was, it was, I thought, this is smart. They talk about smartphones. This is smart, right? Because that means that those girls are going to have to, like, look out the window of the bus <laughs> and see what kind of country they live in. And, and, you know, they might be forced to actually talk to a person face-to-face and not Facebook. <laughs> I mean, wow, that's revolutionary, isn't it? And, of course, there's so many studies about the further you are from other people as far as interacting with them, the less personal it becomes. You know, you can't, you, you don't get body language, you don't get intonation of voice and all those different kind of things. So it's much better for interpersonal relationships. So Krishna's advising, bring down the fever, bring down the fire of materialistic life, material desires. So how do we do that? He says, uh, 266, one who is, he says, he says what's wrong and then we can understand what's right. One who is not connected with the Supreme can have neither transcendental intelligence nor a steady mind without which there's no possibility of peace. If we're connected to the, our source, to divinity, to God, then we can have transcendental intelligence and a steady mind and then we can be peaceful. Then he ends, and how can there be any happiness without peace? In a purport, part of the purport, Prabhupada says, If one is not in Krishna consciousness, there cannot be a final goal for the mind. Disturbance is due to want of an ultimate goal. And when one is certain that Krishna is the enjoyer, proprietor, and friend, from the fifth chapter, then one can, with a steady mind, bring about peace. Therefore, one who is engaged without a relationship with Krishna, the divinity, is certainly always in distress and without peace. However much he may make a show of peace and spiritual advancement in life, Krishna consciousness is a self-manifested, peaceful condition which can be achieved only in relationship with Krishna. So this is the formula that Krishna is giving us and this is the formula that we try to humbly share with others that, just like Prabhupada sometimes says, if you have arithmetic, if you start out with 2 plus 2 equals 5, doesn't matter how sophisticated you get, your formula is not going to work. So the modern society is very sophisticated, but starting out with 2 plus 2 equals 5, or I am this body, and the gratification of the senses of this body can't satisfy me and my family, and that the best thing I can do for my country, for my family, for everybody, is to provide more and more material things. Now, we need material things, right? We all got 
clothes. We've got nice food. We need to have the air conditioning on if you live in Washington, D.C. We need a few minimum things like that. But it's not the goal. It's probably saying they don't know what the goal is. So if we understand what the goal is, then we can become peaceful. That's how we can become peaceful. That's how we can address it. I was driving here thinking about the class a little bit. And I pulled up at a stoplight, and I just looked at the person in the window in the car next to me, and he looked really frustrated. I was thinking he's probably in a hurry to get someplace, and probably, you know, his girlfriend, his wife didn't do whatever he thought they should have done, and he's worried about money, and he's thinking about this and that. I thought, but I'm sitting at the same light, and actually, by the mercy of my spiritual master, understanding that actually the blue sky, that's what God looks like. And actually, I may be sitting here in this traffic light for a short time, but my life's temporary, but I do have some time to try to awaken my relationship with Krishna. And he's such a magician that all these trees around us here, some of them have lived longer than I have, are going to live longer than me. They all came from a little tiny seed. But we all know there's many scientists in the room. Science can explain so many things, but if you keep asking enough questions, why does this happen? Because of that. Well, why did that happen? Well, because of this. And why does this happen? Hmm... Good question. It always gets down to the we really don't know. So devotees, we address that with what we, we kind of do know. We know that behind all of the amazing things that happen, some of which we can explain with material formulas, but we reach a point we can't. We know that behind that all, there's, there's, there's Krishna. There's a divine force. There's an inconceivable force that's there. And that force is friendly. So that addresses the question, what about ourselves and this, this question of peacefulness and, and understand how I can minimize my own contributions to the tension. If I become more connected with Krishna, if I become more convinced of my spiritual identity, I become more peaceful. I will. I'll experience that. Um, well, leaves the question, what about the rest of the world? You know, I started out saying we should care. Um, what about everybody else? What do we do about that? And it goes back to Prabhupada's uh, first purpose again. We said we are meant to propagate spiritual knowledge to society at large. So our founder, Acharya Shita Prabhupada, said our first duty is to save ourselves in the sense of connect ourselves with Krishna. But he also said we should help others. And Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, there's nobody more dear to me than someone who gives their time, their energy, their life to actually helping others connect with them. So if we appreciate Prabhupada's contributions or if we appreciate the temple or we appreciate Krishna's kindness to us, um, if there's some sense of gratitude there, then we also, in our own capacity, and we all have limited capacity, Mother Teresa, the recently canonized Catholic, now saint, said, no one can do a great things. She said, you can only do small things with great love. Beautiful, isn't it? No one can do great things. We can only do small things with great love. So in a similar way, none of us can do great things, but we can do things with great love. We can, we can try our own. So in this, just, I'll end with this little bit here, some thoughts about, well, how do I try to share this with others? Prabhupada said, actually, we should feel a debt to our spiritual masters, a debt that we can't repay, that we've been given this, 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 this insight, this knowledge. So first, just to quote one of my favorite expressions from St. Francis, who said to his disciples, you should preach all day long, and when absolutely necessary, also speak a few words. So that's the first thing we should do. We want to be agents of peace in the world or see better. We ourselves should be um, endeavoring to make 
our own lives applied by these teachings and put them into, into work in our own lives. To be examples at work. I've said this before. People should be asking themselves at work, why is she a little different than everybody else? Why does he never get upset? How come, he ne- How come every time we're having fun criticizing everybody in the office, he walks away? What's with him? Why does he think differently? Why is he so peaceful? Why is he so happy? We should make these come alive in our own work, at home, and all that we do. <clears throat> so that's the first thing. We should preach all day and sometimes say a few words. Secondly, communally, we should support the temple. This temple really is proper and vision. It's an oasis in, the, in a, a real whirlpool of material experiences for people. So we have beautiful festivals. We have wonderful Sunday feast programs, so many outreach endeavors we do. So, so support this, you know, to make, we, we're really, we are genuinely following in Prabhupada's footsteps, trying to make a difference in people's lives, trying to give people hope. A lot of people are somewhat hopeless in the world these days. They pretend they're full of hope, but they're just doing the same old, same old. I was at an event at the Indian Embassy a few years ago, and some young guy was talking when he was kind of showing off in front of a bunch of pretty girls about how happy he was, and, you know, kind of, in a friendly way, making a little fun of me, you know, some spiritual guy. The minute these beautiful girls walked away, his head went down, and he said, you know what? I'm really miserable. <laughs> I was thinking, I knew that, and I'm glad you know it too. Now, now you can start to make some progress, you know. But if you're going to walk around pretending everything's great, you can't make progress. You know, people are dishonest with themselves. So um, we want to give people real hope. We want to expand. And that means ourselves, you know, contributing our time, our intelligence, our money, whatever we have. We should sacrifice of ourselves. Krishna is our supreme father. It's Father's Day. He's, we, should, we should cultivate an awareness that whatever intelligence I have, it comes from him. Whatever money I have, it comes from him. Whatever time I have, whether it's one day or a hundred more years, it, it comes from him. It's a gift. So let me give back some of that. And then the third thing, um, try ourselves to interact and share Krishna consciousness with others. Palakra Prabhu is here. He organizes Harinam every week. A couple times a week, actually. Takes devotees in the community out and, and chant the Lord's names. Sometimes devotees from here, they go out and they share Prabhupada's books with people at festivals and college programs. Um, there's always opportunities to volunteer at festivals. Just as Prabhupada went out, he was 70 years of age. And he left his country with no money, no institutional support, only one contact with a place to stay for a month. And three trunks of books and no money. Imagine, take away all your credit cards, give away all your cash, go to a country you've never been before, you don't know what to expect, with no money. All you have is a bunch of books about God. Right? Anybody ready to do that? That's a saint. That's a saint that can do that. So he's our founder, Charya. He went out, and because of him, we're all benefited in so many ways. So I'll just end with this that I think... Uh, Prabhupada described, and we know it's true, all people, they're, they're looking for peace. They want to become free from fear. They're trying to figure out how to, how to resolve all the violence that's there, all the school shootings, all the movie theater shootings, all the concert hall shootings, all the state park shootings. It's, it's, it's insane. It's actually become insane. Prabhupada says someplace material, well, there's no place for a gentleman to live, and it's becoming really nasty. And people are saying, well, put more money here, put more money there, and those are good things. But we, again, want to ask this question. What's the root cause? And Krishna is describing it, Bhagavad the root cause is because 2 plus 2 does not equal 5. The more material experiences people have, it doesn't satisfy the heart. You know, when, we can, when Krishna is there, you can, you know, 
Be 13 years old, be on a bus with a bunch of girls chanting Hare Krishna, tour around the country and have a, have a great time because Krishna's there. But if you, take the, if you take that divine connection out of it, there's always something that's missing. Maybe somewhat, you know, somewhat happy. There's, not, there's no happiness here, but at the root cause of it, to satisfy your heart, it's not there. So all people want peace. They want to become free from fear and violence. So let us work for that peace. As Vaishnavas, we have a responsibility. We are responsible. Responsible. We are able to respond to the conditions in this world. And if we don't do it, who's going to do it? I mean, other people are trying, and we appreciate that, and we fall at their feet for all their hard work. But we also have our share to do, to work for peace based on our spiritual knowledge, our awareness of what real peace comes from, the peace formula that's described here, knowing that Krishna, the divine, is the supreme friend, the supreme enjoyer, and the supreme controller. Understanding that and endeavoring to evoke within our hearts genuine compassion for all. We, we can truly, as they say, as the modern term, we can be change agents. We're meant to be change agents. Prapa was a change agent. And uh, we are trying to please him and, and, and appreciate what he's given to us, and we should take up the same mood. Okay? So I'll stop there. Thank you very much. Srila Prabhupada, Kijai. So I think we have about uh, till 2 o'clock for some questions. Questions or comments? I don't start with Gopi. Lady side and that side, and turn it down a little bit, please. Thank you. Start with Gopi. Gopi is a yoga teacher. She's also trying her best to instill genuine peace in people's hearts. Thank you for that. Um, I just in Washington D.C. of all places, not an easy place <laughs> to do that. I just wanted to ask about um, a couple of thoughts. Uh, karma. It seems that sometimes there are people who are more peaceful because they've just done more pious work, they have done good, they've gotten their good Sukritis back. And um, I, I just, and then also devotees are not, it, it doesn't seem like the distress goes away, but that we have a tool or a philosophy and, and a mindset to know how to process anxiety and stress or difficulties. But I don't necessarily see, I mean, sometimes non-devotees are, are pretty, I mean, I know some pretty peaceful, sattvic people, and I, and more so sometimes than devotees. I, 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 just, I just don't think it is that black and white, but I do think that the tools or the philosophy that Prabhupada's given us has been a way to know how to respond to break that cycle um, but I, I, I mean, it's, it's a big topic. It's not just surrender to Krishna, you're peaceful. What does that mean, peace, peace of mind? is, is something more than just... The temple president, who's a very good organizer, gave me 30 minutes to discuss peace. So you're right. We should have weeks to discuss it. Maybe it can become a theme at some time in the future. But just to add a comment to your comment, I didn't mean to at all, and if I did, I apologize. It wasn't the intention. To imply, like you said, black and white or... You know, we have a peace formula and others don't have anything, or we are all peaceful and others are not. It's a question of spiritual awakening. And Bhaktivinoda Thakur describes one of the symptoms of a Madhyama Adhikari, or a devotee in the second stage of spiritual realization, is they appreciate the qualities and the progress of other people following different spiritual paths. They don't see like we're here and they're here. They see in terms of who's awakening, their peacefulness, their spiritual qualities, etc., so we, it shouldn't, it's not a sectarian topic at all. But did you have a question out of that? Or? 
Wait, wait, wait. What's the thing about our karma? Our karma, if you've done good things, mm -hmm. it comes back to you. You feel more peaceful. If you've done bad things or if something's happened in your life, in the past life, it seems like everyone has a different story based on their... You can be peaceful when there's an ocean of turmoil around you. It's like some people are born in really loving, connected families and they're more peaceful. And others are born in more violent families. They're obviously not going to be more peaceful. I mean, there's just that black and white, like, karma. Like yeah, the, yeah no, I mentioned there's definitely a variety. I mean, there, there, it's, not, it's not according to economic status or racial status or ethnic status or educational status. The world, Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, Brahma Bhuvana Lokar. If you go to the topmost planet, there's problems. If you go to the lowest planet, there's problems. So a thoughtful person sees like that. I mean, I was born in a middle, upper-class family with a swimming pool and a three-car garage and three-and-a-half acres of land, and my father was an alcoholic, my sister was a drug addict, and my brother got married three times, and I had people that died early, and I had one of my best friends in junior high school hung himself. So it's like, wow, you know, this is the good life. You know, I, I wasn't raised in Syria. I didn't see my wife or my son or my father die in a boat trying to get across the Mediterranean and then be turned away when we try to get refugee status. That's suffering, you know. And some of us, I know I went to, I one time was, we were working with the assistant mayor of, of, of D.C., came to actually home for dinner with Bhakti Tirtamaraj, and he told a story one time about being a black male and how, you know, the kind of prejudice and issues that he had to deal with. And it, he mentioned one story. As a young man, he wanted to use the men's restroom. And when he left, <clears throat> some white guy walked in and, and showed it that somebody else hadn't flushed the urinal and said something effective, you know, dirty, using a negative word, dirty black. They're so filthy they can't even, wash, you know, flush the toilet. And how he spent the rest of his life, well, he spent so many years until he was like 22 or something, could making sure when he used the restroom, he flushed the toilet every time so the, the bigoted white idiot didn't think this is a symptom of black people that somebody else, probably white because of the statistics, didn't flush the toilet. So even those kind of subtle, you know, what to speak of all the different disadvantages there. But that's, again, it gets, I mean, I can remember before I became devotee thinking, okay, what should I do? Should I work on the racial issues? Should I try to solve the economic problems? Should I try to address international relations? Should I try to become a lawyer and address, you know, legal impropriety? Should I try to save the whales? Well, then what about the squirrels? Let's try to help the cows. But what about the unborn babies? And let's try to help women. But what about blacks? And if you take care of the blacks, what about the Latinos? What about the oceans? Like, Wow. Is there any root cause here? Is there any root cause? Is there one thing we can try to do? So that's what I was talking about today. And as I made the point, it doesn't mean you, you, know, you take care of the one root cause. Okay, I'm chanting Hare Krishna. Ignore everything. I'm chanting Hare Krishna. Let me you know, develop some genuine compassion. Let me act with people in such a way that I don't make their day any worse. And if I can, try to give them a little spiritual shelter. I mean, a simple thing. I mean, Ananda I mentioned the food distributions going on here. You know, we should be... Practically, you know, I'd go so far as to say people in this room, all of us, we should be like looking at our checkbooks every night to see, can I squeeze a few extra dollars out to distribute a little bit more prashadam? You know, we should be dry. You know, when you leave here, everybody stops and buys a bunch of, uh, you know, stuff for, the, for their house. Buy an extra five or six or, you know, offer a bunch of candy bars at home. And you, when you see that person, whether they're legitimately homeless or just, you know, it's a great men to make a living, you know, and you see those people, the stop sign, you know, give them, give them a Hare Krishna blessed granola bar. You know, everything we do, I mean, uh, I think Bhakti Tirtamaj used to quote this. I don't think he was the source of it. 
Every human effort is either a cry for help or, or an act of love. You know, we see people that, you know, so much violence. Why, why are people violent? Because they're so unhappy. They're so frustrated. It just leads to all these issues. So we can interact on a big scale and on a little scale. Just, like I said, make, you know, small difference here and there. So thank you. Prophecy, um, it's on. So you just uh, said small and big scale. Could you share some, and you know, education at the individual level, of course, is very important and essential. But then, from like GBC point of view, are there some things that are going on? Could you share some things that are going on that could make individual efforts scale up so that? we can make a big, bigger <clears throat> impact? Well, yeah, thank you. That's a really profound question. A couple things. There's an effort. You know, ISKCON was founded by Prabhupada with a bunch of young former hippies in New York City. And Prabhupada said sometimes, you know, Krishna didn't send many first-class people. You know, though we know those all great saintly people that helped establish the movement and much more, you know, greater people than, than I am for sure. But... Um, there, we, we, historically, we, we haven't had, we have not focused on system, Prabhupada says systematically propagate. We have not focused on systematic training. So more and more of that is going on. Um, I was in Radhadesh recently. There is now an Alfred Ford um, program for giving master's degrees in conscious leadership. It's not just devotees, it's for anybody. But there's whole sections on conscious leadership. So people get an MBA and understand it's not just about making profit. Of course, we're not the only ones doing that. There's other institutions doing that. But we're trying to do our, our part there. So that's one thing, leadership and education. Um, I think more and more as time goes by, more and more devotees will be interacting at a greater level with society at large and trying to have some impact. Of course, the danger there is who's going to be uh, influencing who. But I think that... You know, let's say many of you are doctors, and I know like doctors, when you talk to your patients, you can ask them questions like, what's your diet? And without having to, you know, you don't have to say my religion says you shouldn't eat meat, but you know, like, here's a little information on how meat's killing you from a scientific point of view. Maybe you should consider adjusting your, your diet a little bit, things like that. We can do, so look for ways that we can individually make a difference. Um, other things, I think, on an international level, um, there's a lot of amazing things going on in academia. Uh, the Oxford Center for Hindu Studies in, 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 in the UK, devotees and others are being trained to become top scholars and presenting Vedic philosophy, Hindu philosophy, Vaishnava philosophy, so to actually educate people uh, in terms of uh, religious interactions. A lot of very high-level interfaith work going on in some places with ISKCON. ISKCON's being involved more and more in terms of interacting with, with government leaders. You know, we, we should be at the table. When they talk about, you know, health, we should be at the table. They're talking about, you know, the way people are, and what they're feeding kids in public schools these days is horrible. It's horrible. So things like that, if you've got some ability to make a difference there, we can make a difference. You know, it's, it's not going to be, I do some work, I won't get into, I was giving an example of Russia, but I won't. So is that, is that someone helpful? Okay. Thank you, Paul. 